Please then, if you would, turn in your Bibles uh, to our text this evening, which comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, as we'll be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verses 1 to 16. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 16. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that have been done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely, this is also vanity and a striving after wind. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Well, this evening, we can really separate our text into, into four parts or four sections. Uh, there are four things, really, that Solomon is reflecting upon uh, that occur under the sun that, that he views as wrong. Right? What Solomon then is doing here in our text is he is really uh, highlighting for us the the ugliness of life lived under the sun. Now, the four aspects of the ugly side of life that he draws out from are these. And these are going to be the, the points that we use as well for our text this evening. Verses 1 to 3 is oppression. Uh, secondly, then, is, is verses 4 to 6, which covers kind of two in one, envy and idleness. Our third would be in verses 7 to 12, Together again, greed and isolation. And then lastly, in verses 13 to 16, 
loneliness. So first, oppression, then envy and idleness, greed and isolation, and then finally, uh, loneliness. And so for our time, we're going we're gonna to take each one of these one by one and briefly work our way through them. Now in the first three verses, then Solomon's addressing uh, the abuse of power that he sees right, going on around him. And what results from that is oppression. Right? Now oppression, I think we all can agree, is an awful evil. It's an awful evil. Uh, but we also have to define oppression. Because right? isn't oppression today a word that's, that's used and just thrown, thrown about by all sorts of people? Now, Scripture tells us, though, that oppression can be many things. Oftentimes, it involves a cheating one's neighbor out of something. Uh, scripture likewise tells us that oppression uh, means to be defrauded can be uh, the extortion of some of someone or or to to steal from someone right oppression occurs when when those things are are done upon someone this also in scripture we see many times happening to whom to the weak to the poor to the widow uh, to the orphan oppression is oftentimes in scripture likewise associated with what with bloodshed and with violence as well as the denial of rights and proper justice and so what we see is, is true of oppression is that man, fallen man, sinful man, will do about anything that he can as long as it's advantageous to himself, no matter who it is that he harms. Right? No matter who it is that he hurts. I mean, think about even Adam. Right? Think about Adam in the garden. Right? And how much alike so many are today. As sinful, fallen man is concerned about what? They're concerned about uh, their own self-centeredness, self-love, and their selfishness. And aren't, isn't that exactly what Adam exhibited in the garden? Right? He didn't think at all about all of those whom he represented right, when he disobeyed God and, and rebelled against Him. And we see oppression that in many forms, in many varieties, uh, throughout our own existence. Uh, we can think about uh, oppression between siblings or between uh, friends. I mean, think about how many fractured relationships there are in this world amongst families and friends because someone has stolen from someone. We also see unjust regimes around the world oppressing their people by doing what? Denying them their God-given rights. Perhaps one of the, the greatest forms of oppression that we see in our day and age today, is the systematic murder right, and killing of the unborn in the womb. Right, here we have right, mothers murdering their own flesh and blood. Those who are unable to defend themselves and protect themselves. Right, who are denied the opportunity to, to live and to grow and to flourish. An ability that is God's alone to, to give and to take away. But what Solomon bemoans is the fact that oftentimes it's, it's these people, the oppressed, who have nobody to comfort them. And he asks the question, right? Where, where are their friends? Who is by their side? But oftentimes, as is the case, we, we want to be on the side of the powerful, don't we? Right? We don't want to be identified with the oppressed because we don't want to be oppressed. Right? We, want to, we want to be on the side of of, of the powerful. And so, when we see oppression occur, we don't speak up. We don't, we don't say anything. We don't act upon it for the 
we don't want a penalty for doing so. And so what does Solomon say? He says that those who have died then, he views as more fortunate than those who are still alive. Why is that? Well, because those who have died have, have moved beyond the corruption of life lived under the sun. You see, those who are still living are still suffering from it. But this is why then in verse 3, what does he say? Better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. He's saying the one who is yet to be born, the one who does not exist, is, is better off than both. Uh, the one who was born and who is still living and the one who has been born but yet died. Why? Because he doesn't see and he doesn't experience right, all of the ugliness of life lived under the sun. As we see the growing wickedness in our, in our own culture, in our own society, don't we hear uh, people, a lot of times more of the elderly folks who are closer to, to death than, than they are to the, the day of their birth, say things of that similar nature. Uh, oh, I, I, I don't want to think about you know, what my grandchildren or what my great-grandchildren who, who might be born down the line might experience when I'm dead and gone because of the perversity of our culture and our society. Now next, Solomon moves on to consider the ugliness and the sinfulness of, of envy and idleness. Look at verse 4 with me, please. There he says this, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Here Solomon points out, why does man oftentimes do work? It's out of envy. Man works out of competition. Instead of working out of the joy of doing what God has given you to do on this earth. Remember, the Tenth Commandment prohibits what? Uh, the, the desiring, the, the coveting, the, the envying of what our, our neighbors have. And if that's the prohibition, what's the precept? That in fact, what does God call us to do but be happy? Right? To be happy for what God gives others. That we are to rejoice in the good gifts that He bestows upon our neighbors. And yet, isn't this a far cry from what we see going on in the world? Everybody is trying to keep up with the Joneses, aren't they? Everyone wants to outdo their neighbor in what it is they can accumulate. When we ought to find true contentment in what we have been given by God and be thankful that He has made us stewards of whatever it is that He has given to us. And yet, all of it is vanity, Solomon says. Vanity, remember, means literally a mist or a breath. We see an example of that in Psalm 144, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Here one day, gone tomorrow. A breath in the cold. You see it for a second, and then it vanishes. And so he says, what foolishness is it then to work out of the principle of, of competition and out of envy when one day everything that you worked for, everything that you've sought to accumulate will one day be gone. How foolish right, to turn the good gifts of God into idols. That's what he says. And yet, what I want us to see is that Solomon isn't saying, well, then you shouldn't work. Right? That's not what he's saying. Because in verse 5, he goes on to describe the one who doesn't work as the fool who folds his hands and eats his own flesh. 
What's he describing there? The, the slothful person. Right? The lazy person. The, the sluggard. The one who says, you know what? I can't keep up with the Joneses. I'm just not going to work at all. In our society today, we might think about the, you know, the middle-aged man who lives in his parents' basement. Right? Playing video games and eating, you know, microwavable meals all day long. Right? There are all these jobs out there to be had. And yet, where are all the workers? Right? Sitting by idly, doing nothing, not understanding that the one who refuses to work is slowly but surely destroying himself. The better option, though, Solomon says in verse 6, is this. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. So you can be a workaholic right, who works out of competition and envy, who has two hands filled with all that you have accumulated. Right? You can be a, a sluggard, someone who is lazy, right, who folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Right? Or, he says, you can, you can be one who works joyously, right, content, knowing that whatever you are doing is the work that God has given you to do, and in that work you are satisfied. That's why he can say you have a, a handful of quietness. Right? There's no complaint coming from your mouth. Now, the third aspect of the ugliness of life under the sun that Solomon then brings out is greed and isolation. Look with me at verses 7 and 8, please. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Right, the person here in our text that Solomon is describing is the one who, who works and who lives alone. Right? They have no one. They have no one by choice. No heir. No one, to, no one to enjoy all of the lawful pleasures that God has given to, uh, given to man to enjoy. No one to enjoy those things with. Right? It's someone who doesn't have a family because they have no time for a family. Right? Their life is their work. And they are so consumed by their work. And they are consumed by accumulating riches to their non-stop work schedule. And this is true of many today, isn't it? Especially in our own country, there isn't a very good work-life balance, is there? This is why also all these businesses and all this uh, market uh, enjoyment for those outside of the church is going on today, isn't there? Right out of that principle of greed. And what results is people forsaking what? Marriage. People forsaking children. People forsaking families. What God has created most people for to experience in life. And instead they have replaced it with their career. Right? They see their career now as what is most beneficial and most fulfilling in their life. And yet how sad is that? Right? How sad is that if we, if we stop and think about this? This is why Solomon says, this is vanity and an unhappy business. Why? Because what happens when the riches of that person fade away or disappear or he loses it all? What happens when that person gets terminally sick with cancer and can't work anymore? He is a person most miserable because he is a person who will be alone. A person who has no one. A person who when he dies will not have anyone who, have, who will have loved him and taken care of him and, and made sure that he was buried. 
This is why both greed and isolation are so bad. Look at what it does to a person. This is why Solomon then goes on to say in verses 9-12 through this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Uh, But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here in these verses 9-12, to uh, what Solomon does is he is he gives us four benefits of, of why that principle of two is better than one uh, is realized. Right? First, he says what? A, a larger profit. Right? Two people can do a lot more uh, than just one person alone can do. And so a larger profit. He also says helping each other in need. If, if one falls, if you have another with you, you'll be able to help the one who has fallen. Also the better of keeping warm. And with that, really being kept alive. Remember in the ancient world as they, are, as they are walking and traveling and it gets dark and they're in the wilderness, there's not a, a hotel on the corner that they can go and reserve a room in. It's better to have two than be alone and freeze to death. For when you have two, right, you can, as travelers, lay, lay back to back and, and use your tunics to cover each other up and, and there you will at least get some, some warmth that you can stay alive. And finally, what we see, the final benefit is for defense. I mean, isn't one person oftentimes viewed as an easy target? Right? But if you have two people, it's a lot less likely that someone is going to come and attack you or, or try to harm you. Isn't this why Jesus sends the disciples out, the 72 out two by two? Right? This is what the threefold cord then symbolizes, that there's safety in numbers. And then lastly, finally, the last aspect Solomon brings out is loneliness. Loneliness. In verses 13 to 16, Solomon speaks of two kings. Right? You have the, you have the old king who is a fool. And he's a fool because he doesn't listen to advice. Right? He doesn't take counsel. And so he rules alone. And then you have a second king who started out poor, but it was wise. And he's kind of a rags to riches story, isn't he? He went from prison to being king. But ultimately, at the end of the day, as we look at both their lives, what happens to them both? They're both forgotten. They're both forgotten. This is close to what uh, Joseph experienced in his own life, isn't it? If you think about Joseph, he's kind of a rags-to-riches story. He went from prison to being kind of second in all of Egypt behind Pharaoh. And yet in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, what do we learn about Joseph? We're told, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. It's lonely on top. It's lonely on top. Uh, For those who are old and foolish, or for those who are young and wise, people love you one minute and they forget about you the next when the next best thing comes into town. But this is the, the, the sinful, fallen nature of man. This is why then he ends with, surely this also is vanity in striving after wind. Now, brothers and sisters, if, if we stopped here in these 16 verses and just read what Solomon had to say, I think it would leave a, a bad taste in many of our mouths, wouldn't it? Who wants to live in a, a fallen world like this where things have come, become so disordered by sin? 
You say, why would I want to live in, a, in an existence like this? What do I have to look forward to all the days of my life? Is this all there is? Oppression, envy, idleness, greed, isolation, and loneliness. But as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, in light of the cross, we recognize that that is not all that there is. That this does not have to summarize your earthly existence nor your eternal one. For this is why Christ came into a fallen world to deal with man's sinful, fallen nature. Which is why when we read what Solomon has to say in light of the cross, we are not to be discouraged. We ought to cause us to to raise our minds and to raise our affections above the sun, looking towards the One who is sovereign over all things. For Christ has come into the world. He assumed our nature. He was truly man. He experienced what we experienced and came to deal with those things and provide hope for the sinner. And so for the remainder of the last few minutes that we have here, what I want to do is is now consider in light of Christ each of, of these four aspects that we have looked over. And so first, consider oppression. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Christ came into the world to be Redeemer, to to discharge poor sinners of the duty they they owed to God, the debt they owed to Him by by sin they, they could not do. He provided the sacrifice which then allowed many of the oppressed to do what? To go free. And yet, let us not forget that in order to set the oppressed free, Christ Himself became oppressed. Is that atoning sacrifice for sin? What do we read in Isaiah 53, verse 7? He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. And so see, brothers and sisters, this evening that you have a high priest right, who is able to sympathize with all of your many weaknesses. And what we see throughout Scripture and even in the world, isn't oppression oftentimes the lot that God has given to His people? And yet, instead of being discouraged, it ought to cause us to, to run to our high priest. Right? To, to throw ourselves before the, the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need, knowing that He understands our weaknesses. He understands everything that we need. Consider in light of Christ and what we are also to think about envy and idleness. Think about this. One hand of quietness was enough for Jesus. One hand of quietness was enough. He did not come into the world to fold His hands and to eat His own flesh and sit silently and do nothing. Nor did He come into the world with two hands full, still grasping for more. Christ came into the world and was content with having His daily needs filled by God. He trusted in the providence of God and was happy with all that God had provided Him. And he went about his work that God had given him to do, fulfilling the task he was sent to accomplish. And because of this, what does he teach us? 
in the Lord's Prayer. We are to pray for our daily bread. He teaches us to pray for our our daily needs. He doesn't tell us to pray for riches, but nor does He tell us to pray for a poverty-stricken life. He teaches us to pray for what we need, and when He gives us all that we need, we ought to be satisfied by it. We ought to be content with it. What about greed and isolation? Well, Christ Himself did the, the most selfless thing one could do, didn't He? In offering up His, His life for sinners. And so I ask you this, how can, how can we be greedy with our own lives? Right? With our own time? With our, with our own selves? With our, with our money? With everything? How can we be greedy when He has done so much and He was so selfless for us? This is why Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world Right, but to lose his soul. Right, the very best things in life are things that money can't buy. Right, your riches cannot purchase your salvation. Right, the riches that you and I need are, are alone to be found in Christ who provides grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness and life eternal. And remember when He came and He suffered and He died, that He broke down that wall of hostility making one new people. Not an isolated people, but one people that have now come together. If you remember even back in Genesis chapter 2 when He created all the animals and then He created Adam, what did He say? It's not good for man to be alone. God did not create us to be isolationists. He created us to be social creatures and so see the importance of belonging to a church and being an active member in the church. How encouraging is it Right, to know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for you, right, who are able to share your burdens, who are able to encourage you, who if you are injured can help you, who if you are hungry can feed you, right, who invite you over to their homes. How encouraging it is to, to have these things within the body of Christ. Right, remembering that we are a body knit together and so we have to live this way because we need one another. We need the church. And then finally, loneliness. Many of you at times in your life perhaps have felt lonely. Perhaps some of you today feel loneliness. But I ask you this, who knew loneliness more than Jesus? Who knew loneliness more than Christ? Christ came into the world and in His toughest trial, all of His friends abandoned Him. As Christ hung upon the cross for sinners, He felt abandoned and forsaken by His own God, His own Father. And so see, brothers and sisters, this is why uh, the Internet church is so detrimental, which is becoming more and more popular since uh, COVID-19. But let us see that we weren't saved and set apart to, to do life on our own. We weren't saved and set apart to worship God on our own. But rather, He has brought us into community with one another. Many people think they can make it on their own. You're not going to make it on your own. No one will make it on their own. And we all suffer under a fallen world as sinful creatures. But then remember that Christ has come into this fallen world. And He has suffered for us to remove the curse so that now we may be free of these things. Oppression, envy, idleness, greed, isolation, and loneliness. 
But may this then also teach us what it is we ought to labor for most in this world. It's not riches. It's not keeping up with the Joneses. It's not possessions of prestige. It's, it's Christ. Right? We must be laboring after Christ. Laboring after greater knowledge of Christ. Laboring after greater communion with Christ. Laboring after more love for Christ. Laboring after more effectiveness for Christ. Laboring after more love for Christ's people. Remembering that Christ has come to, to set us free from bondage. And in setting us free, He has now enabled us to, to walk in obedience to Him under the, the law of liberty. And so if you've been set free by Christ, you are free indeed. Yes, you now live in a, in a fallen world under the sun. But now you do so in Christ as one who has been radically transformed. So that now you view these things differently. Right? You view yourself differently. You view this world differently. You view your neighbor differently. You, you view what's important differently. You view your purpose here on earth differently. You view what is uh, your purpose in living on earth differently. And so let us view life and live life under the sun then, brothers and sisters, in light of the hope that we now have found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank You that uh, misery is not our end. Uh, we thank You that You have provided for us uh, hope uh, so that we would not be overcome by discouragement and, de- and depression as we consider uh, how ugly life can be lived in a fallen world amongst sinners, those whom all of us likewise are. And so we thank You that You sent Christ into the world, that You uh, chose us uh, with notwithstanding any of our own merits, and You uh, saved us, You redeemed us, You have freed us from uh, the bondage of our uh, corrupt and sinful natures, and You have allowed us, uh, through the powerful working of the Spirit inside of us, to experience a life free of these things. Uh, Lord, we pray and we ask that, that whenever, though, they... Uh, re-emerge or reappear in our lives, that You would continue to help us to be pointed back to the cross. That we would continue to look to Christ and, and what Christ has done uh, for us and, and help us to consider His uh, great and many benefits that we receive and, and, and stoke within our hearts a, a great desire and a, a, a need to, to turn to You in dependence and faith, trusting that Uh, Lord, uh, You have uh, freed us from these things uh, through the powerful workings of Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.